0: Welcome to the Proceedings Podcast. I'm Ward Carroll, the Naval Institute's Director of Outreach. Joining me is my usual co-host, Navy Captain and Intelligence Officer, retired Bill Hamlet, the Editor-in-Chief of Proceedings Magazine.
1: Hello, Bill. Hello, Ward. We have another special guest with us today here in the in Studio We C.
0: promised we'd have him as one of the regulars, and in fact, we're delivering on that promise. He's marched up from the second deck. Uh, please... Join us in welcoming former Fleet Master Chief Paul Kingsbury.
2: Thanks, Ward. Thanks, Bill. Looking forward to the conversation here. Yeah, Paul. Welcome so you got to hug the, the mic.
1: Welcome to the staff. Hug it.
0: Yeah, okay. great rookie, gotcha. air, rookie air, there. Gotcha. You gotta, it, it's very going to be in close.
1: So Paul Kingsbury uh, was a member of the editorial board. Also, I think uh, 2016 uh, editor of the. I mean, uh, sorry, author of the year for proceedings. And uh, and you're the author now of uh, the Chief Petty Officer's Guide. Second uh, edition, And And yes. you're, you're working down in the professional, most of your time here at the Naval Institute in the professional books department of the Naval Institute Press.
2: With some reach across, with marketing and outreach, doing enlisted outreach, uh, trying to expand our cadre that's a, a member of this forum called the Naval Institute. So yes, I'm excited to be here. Yes,
0: that's his signature, to my eye, uh, utility. So... Uh, He'll be uh, connecting with folks that uh, maybe don't know about us, right, or haven't heard about us. And, uh, you know, a lot of work to do there. And we're very excited about that, that hat that he wears as well. Absolutely. Um, so we're super jazzed to have him aboard and uh, want to get him here on the podcast, as we promised some weeks ago. So, so here we go. So everybody have a good Thanksgiving. Fantastic.
2: Awesome. Went up to Chicago, but didn't get stranded, fortunately. That's
0: good. You, did you fly or did you drive? I
2: flew. That's gutsy.
0: <laughs> um, so um, a couple of headlines to talk about. So among the things um, that happened on Thanksgiving, um, a, a pretty interesting, <clears throat> um, you know, of course, the commander-in-chief makes phone calls <coughs>
1: to uh, to the troops out there. The, on troops, the, the right? forward so, line um, deployed around the world, yeah. He, he called
0: the CEO of Reagan, um, who's uh, Captain Pat Hannafin. Um, I don't know him. Anybody know, know I do Pat not. Never, not personally. I've never nope. served with him. Um, but... Um, you know, a naval aviator, as all carrier CEOs generally are. Um, and uh, it was an interesting exchange. So let, let me play you the exchange here, um, and we'll talk about it on the back side. You pretty soon. How does this compare in size and scope with the Gerald Ford? You know all about that. That's the new one, right? Gerald Ford, which is electronic and digital, if you can believe it. Yes, sir. Our, uh, all of our Nimitz uh, supercarriers have been using steam for uh, for decades, and we find it pretty reliable. However, the electromagnetic catapults uh, they're running there uh, offer some great benefits um, to, uh, obviously, like any new piece, you got to work through the bugs. But uh, they offer some benefits, uh, not only to stress and on the aircraft to extend service life and other pieces. Um, I have no doubt we'll work through that, just as we work through uh, all of our other advancements, and continue to bring it to the uh, to the enemy when called to do so. See, that's that's a very nice answer, right? That's how you make flag. Yes. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's a that's a precarious uh, position he was put in there. Um, the president tweeted some months ago after he visited Ford at at Huntington Ingalls. Um, and uh, both the CNO and uh, and Mike Petters were in company with him, which I will say proudly as a member of the class of 82. Um, those are both classmates, right? So we made a big deal of that in our alumni circles. Um, but he came away from that visit. I guess a sailor took him sidebar. He heard something about these cats, the digital cats, or the, uh, you know, emails cats are not working right or something. And so he just got it in his head. And he tweeted sort of like the the clean coal line where it's like you know tried and true steam um so i i think the skipper there the captain of the reagan did a brilliant job of at once sort of acknowledging that there have been some issues but you know so sort of going this is the next generation and we're going to be fine right. pro- that was really pro- cool. probably
1: a question he didn't see coming but he certainly uh reacted very well to it and uh yeah he gave a great answer you know this that's what we always do that's what sailors do right we we adapt to new technology we figure out how to make it work and uh and, and we move on and so that's what's gonna happen with uh with ford and with that classic carrier so uh yeah agreed and then
0: uh also from the uh, headlines of u uh, s and i news um another fat leonard casualty um uh General mark montgomery um he's a retired uh uh one or two star I guess right Um, and uh, he got a uh, letter of censure from SECNAV Um, and so this will affect his retirement pay and what what the rank he retires at Um, I don't think he's going to serve any prison time for his involvement in the scandal Um, but again this is the Fat Leonard is the the anti-gift that keeps on not giving kind of thing you know so uh, that was a headline from yesterday
1: yeah Um, I've been uh judging or going through the uh, initial culling of the 30 odd essays that we got for our uh annual leadership essay contest and uh I, I would say probably five or six of those 30 essays uh brought up the point of the Fat Leonard scandal and the, the indicator that that is that the Navy needs to have better uh training and better you know a better way of inculcating um uh, leadership and also just uh, tried-and-true fundamentals of, you know, morals into our officer corps because, you know, the, you know a number of authors are pointing out, hey, how, ca- how can the Navy have this, this type of scandal, particularly among people who are supposed to have gone through, uh, you know, basic moral training and upbringing and leadership Uh, that certainly doesn't ever indicate when you're a junior officer or a midshipman or a petty officer uh, that 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 kind of action is uh, in line with the you know the the type of character that we're supposed to embody in the navy so
0: how do you feel about that paul i mean you're fresh from the you know the the elbow of a four star um are are we is there enough training going on is it What's I, what's the situation? Absolutely,
2: I would say it, it's not that we're not training. You can't tell me that people just don't know. When you talk about honor, courage, commitment, okay. or they get to this point in their careers and lives, really, I have to tell you not to you know embezzle the government and don't sleep with the help. Prostitutes and, are bad. Yes,
1: yeah, No, I'm not saying that uh, that the training doesn't happen, but you still have to wonder, like, how how is it possible that? You know, in fact, the December issue of proceedings, we have a great article by a midshipman, Noah Johnson, one of our midshipman summer interns, uh, and and he... He uses that example as, "Hey, we have this honor code. The honor code at the Naval Academy was actually uh, is not that old. It's not one hundred and fifty years old. It came up in the nineteen fifties when Ross, Ross created
0: by Admiral Lawrence, right,
1: Admiral Lawrence and Ross Perot, and Ross Perot, right? Yeah, and uh, who who looked at some of the you know the shortcomings of the brigade at the time and said, hey, 'Hey, we've got to do better.' Uh, and so Midshipman Johnson builds on that, and but he he also you know recognizes that the Fat Leonard scandal is an indicator that. Well, we have, you know, significant training. We've inculcated this into our culture, but it it doesn't take hold with everybody, right? And that's a you know that's a problem. What do we do about that problem? Um, how do you double down on the you know that that culture that we want to imbue uh, that that makes those kinds of uh, you know crimes and uh, you know immoral you know la- lack of a moral compass uh, um, you know not acceptable in in our core.
2: No, I think there's a a lot. You know, we're t- you're talking about risk decision-making too, right? Personal risk decisions. It's yeah, not absolutely. just, you know, how I manage risk with operational risk, but um, some people require a lot more controls in place, and some people need to have something that's worth losing. I know there was a recent, uh, I forget if it was a blog, an article that was written about, hey, you know, why don't we hold retirement and uh, yeah, that these was, things, you know, know hey. The you know,
1: November issue of proceedings, that's, that's right. right. The right. longer right.
2: you stay in, you know, you know, you're incentivized by that retirement, so it could use it as an incentive uh, To keep people in line. That's right. right. That's another tool uh, for those that can't keep their moral compass aligned with uh, the expectations of the organization.
1: Absolutely. Hey, um, before we move on to our guest, I want to announce something that is uh, just now becoming public, uh, a big effort of the Naval Institute Foundation. Uh, So we're launching our first ever multi-year campaign to raise uh, funds for the Naval Institute uh, to, to do a number of different things that are going to power us from now through our 150th anniversary coming up in uh 2023 uh so the campaign is called the power to inform convene and inspire uh a fundraising campaign for the US Naval Institute uh they have a their own separate micro website called campaign.usni.org uh, the head of our foundation is uh, General Peter Pace, U.S. Marine Corps, former Chairman of the Joint Chiefs. He has a nice quote here uh, on one of the uh, the pages of this brochure. The Naval Institute is a significant forum for independent th- thought. Thriving today because it is needed, the future promises even more—more more youthful and daring perspectives, greater reach and deeper impacts. If you believe in keeping our sea services the finest in the world, I encourage you to consider a gift to the Power to Inform, Convene, and Inspire campaign. So, nice piece there by uh, General Pace, who's a very valued member of the foundation team, uh, and um, we're, we're hoping to. Um, to raise a significant amount of money for this campaign we already have in fact uh... and one of the things it's going to do is fund a conference center that we're going to break ground on here just behind beach hall in uh... march of twenty nineteen so just three months from now we will breaking breaking ground on a four hundred seat conference center that's going to allow us as our ceo says uh to have a home field advantage so we can convene uh conferences here we pick the topic we've got the the home field advantage we call the speakers uh and have a conversation about the most important things that uh, need to be discussed about in the C services so uh really looking forward to that other than the construction noise it's going to cause but it's going to be great to have that uh, conference center uh and it should be finished by the summer of 2020 so very excited about that okay Well, let's move on to our guest today. So uh, a lot of people uh, who are readers of the Naval Institute blog have come across uh, the writings uh, of our guest. Either uh, he's written under a pseudonym, the Salty Millennial, and then just a couple weeks ago he came out uh, from behind the pseudonym and announced himself as Lieutenant Commander Jimmy Drennan. He joins us from Tampa, Florida, Florida today. So, uh, Jimmy, welcome to the Proceedings Podcast.
3: Hey, guys. Thanks Thanks for having me.
1: Great to have you on. So I'll,
3: I'll talk
1: about a couple things um, that you've written here uh, over the last couple of months. You, you uh, uh, joined the fray on the blog, and for those of our listeners who have not found the blog, it's been around since about 2010, uh we have we do allow uh, anonymous writers or s- people who write under pseudonyms uh, on the blog we don't allow that in proceedings but the blog is a little bit less formal it's a little bit more immediate uh and the readership of the blog has risen tenfold over the past uh, 16 17 months uh since it it came under the the tent of the periodicals team uh here at the institute so uh you you started writing under the the moniker salty millennial and, and yeah. you know what, what was um, what spurred you to write your first piece for us
3: uh, that's a that's a great question um yeah i got an email one day on uh kind of wrapping up some of the um the recent um articles uh from the naval institute uh back in september i think and i just started reading through it and i noticed a theme um it wasn't outright; it wasn't direct, but it was um, a, a theme that uh, you know we're kind of direct uh, talking at uh, millennials or a younger generation uh, in, instead of talking with them uh, in terms of uh, you know too much technology usage or uh, the, the changes to the uniforms and uh, and and it wasn't the first time that I had had these thoughts um, that there was a sort of a. Um, almost a, a, a adversarial view of millennials, and so, I, uh, almost out of frustration, I, I just uh, opened up a, a, a word document and started writing, and then um, I fired it off um, to to um, to the uh, blog, and uh, you guys uh, were, were crazy enough to pick it up. So, uh, and I appreciate that. <laughs> well,
1: you, you've certainly driven a lot of comments on our website on the blog site. Uh, a lot of people have reacted in uh, in, you know, in both ways. We had uh, some some uh, yeah. relatively older readers who uh, you know blasted me for allowing anonymous authors on the blog. Uh, with the, you know some of them not realizing that um, the blog is separate from proceedings, and we have a slightly different uh, uh, you know level of uh, of oversight over the blog versus proceedings, and uh, stuff that goes on the blog doesn't go to the editorial board. And also, you know, one one gentleman didn't realize that uh, we've had anonymous authors on the blog for for 10 years now. Commander Salamander, who we had on the podcast just about uh, maybe a year ago or so.
3: Um, So I actually, um, I reached out to Commander Salamander. I I don't know his uh, true identity, but uh, uh, he was nice enough to write me back when I was thinking about uh, sending in that first piece. And uh, we had a little back and forth about the pros and cons and and the pitfalls of uh, doing this kind of thing. So... I do appreciate that, uh, Commander, wherever you are.
1: Yeah, and, and what uh, what spurred you to uh, reveal yourself as you did, uh, was it a week or so ago?
3: Yeah, so um, from the beginning, um, in my conversations with uh, uh, Jennifer Pompey, who, by the way, Jennifer's awesome. Shout out to, to Jennifer, uh, one of the editors on your team there.
1: Yeah, Jenny's um, awesome. She, you're right, she is. She's one of our great
3: editors. She, she's She's incredible, yeah. So uh, I've, I've really appreciated all her help um, along the way. But in the early conversations, we talked about the as I was deciding whether or not to use a pseudonym, and uh, ultimately I decided to not not for not from any um, uh, persuasion on her part. Uh, it was my own decision, but uh, wanted to to see where it went uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, um, I, Number one, I was uh, coming out a little strong, and I was a little bit uh, hesitant to, to um, come out uh, under, under my own name. And then I thought, well, that's, that's uh, kind of silly. If I'm, if I'm going to say these things, uh, I should stand by them. Um, and, then, uh, and then as I thought through it, I thought, well, you know, I, I, I wonder if uh, this will um, maybe get some more uh, attention and uh, readership uh, if it does have a pseudonym. Uh, maybe a character almost uh, as the voice, um, and I thought it was actually um, maybe even more powerful uh, to come from a, a character's point of view instead of just boring old uh, Jimmy Drennan, uh, you know, 4 uh, slow. Um, although all the the points of view are, are, are things that I've experienced in the past uh, and been very personal, but uh, so so I, this idea for a, a character came up and kind of went with it uh, there's examples in in uh, you know uh, um <clears throat> there's a guy uh, uh writing over on war on the rocks uh Colonel Ned Stark who has um really had some significant success with his uh, his, his articles uh, got the attention of the um chief of staff of the air force um and I thought that's very interesting so um although even when I decided to use a pseudonym uh ultimately the idea was that I would would uh, come out and reveal myself because uh you know in the end i had to be accountable for the things i say uh so that was the the way that i decided to play it i wanted to see if it could generate some uh some uh interest and then when the time was right to uh to come out and then um and i also wanted the 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 subject of anonymity itself to be part of the conversation and then i think it it has been so it's uh it's been interesting to see the reactions uh and the comments um and whether or not it ultimately is helpful or not for, uh, officers, uh, that, uh, want to speak up and, uh, and contribute to developing our, our Navy and our military, and whether we, um, sh- want to encourage them to stand up under their own name or to use, um, pseudonyms. And I, I kind of fall in the camp of we need to, we need to encourage people to write and create an environment where they're, They feel like they can express their opinions, even if they are not popular. Uh, I don't think we're there yet. Um, I've been following the the comments, and I I I I certainly appreciate the Naval Institute's uh, stance on the blog to allow um, anonymous uh, writers. um, But ultimately, I I hope we as as a Navy, as as a military, can uh, can encourage people to not feel like they have to use pseudonyms to say things that aren't going to be popular. So. Um, anyway, that's kind of my the long and short of it, uh, long answer to, a, to an easy question.
2: So, uh, hey, sir, you say you don't think we're there yet. So I'm interested in your thoughts on what is it? What is the uh, – you know, I've always, often thought this myself, right? There's uh, – there's, you know, we're in a military culture that brings its own attributes. Uh, and in many cases that military culture is competing with this, quote-unquote, generational culture – uh, of which i think right now there's three of them right there's some boomers still in there's xers uh and yeah. there's millennials and we're getting ready to bring in the next group i think centennials as well so typically we got these four generations so is there an attribute of the older generations that's that's hanging open you know or hanging over here or uh or is it just something inherent in the promotion system or uh i think we should discuss that
3: yeah no that's a that's a great question i don't know if it's unique to the baby boomer generation um although it's a uh, that's certainly what you would consider maybe the dominant generation, just because they are the most senior uh, leaders currently. Um, but it's a it's a the character of military culture has been very uh, since you know for centuries has been sort of um, uh, autocratic. Uh, not the word, maybe a hierarchical is the word I was looking for, and um, and that has led us to a certain kind of way that we communicate. Um, and in, in my time in the past uh, decade and a half in, in the Navy, I've seen a push toward a different style of communication, but we still, we still fall back on the, the hierarchy and uh, the way that we do command and control and, 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 and uh, things like that in our personnel management uh, system. And um, millennials, uh, growing up with the, you know, computing power at their fingertips since they were babies, um, and I'm, I'm sort of like on the border. I'm really, uh, um, born in, 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 82. Uh, so some people would not consider me a millennial, but some people do. So I, I don't really care. It's, that's, that's, uh, not really the point of it, but, uh, the idea is that most millennials that younger than me have, have grown up with, with, uh, computing power and their and ability to communicate, um, from, from the very beginning, uh, communicate widely. And, and I think that's changed the way that they uh, process information and how they share uh, and communicate and spread ideas. And um, it's uh, it seems like it kind of runs contrary to the way that the military has traditionally communicated. And that's very interesting to me. I, I don't think that we should wholesale throw it all out um, and, and and just embrace uh, the way that a younger generation communicates because there are a lot of good things in, in the in, in our Navy and and our uh, the way that we've um, conducted operations on a global scale uh, some incredibly complex uh, things that that we've accomplished um, but at the same time we can't be stuck in those ways and not adapt to the, the character of of the people that are coming up through the ranks um otherwise we're we're probably not going to be hitting the the message uh as as strongly as we could um so yeah i don't really have have the answer yet but uh i do think that we should be open to the idea of of uh, how how younger generations communicate and then of course uh, like you mentioned the the centennials and the next generations you know it seems like every generation is convinced that the one following them is uh, somehow somehow sufficient in some way. I think it's kind of funny. That's it's amusing to me to, to look at that and how that process plays out time and time again. You know, even if you go back to the the greatest generation, you know, I'm sure their parents at some point said that they were uh, not ready for the challenges of the real world and probably complained about them uh, spending too much time uh, hanging out with friends or, or whatever. Uh, and then you know, and look what what they accomplished. So I, I think that's probably just the nature of people growing up. And the interesting thing is that we've we've added the internet and uh, a lot of other things into the mix now that uh, changes things. But um, anyway, yeah, I don't I don't know if there's an answer necessarily, but it's an interesting question.
1: So your writing reminded me of the writing of. Uh, of Ward uh who we're we're sitting in his office now we've got uh some of the posters for our facebook uh, live people they can see and we're just wa- uh looking at Punk's War Punk's Wing Punk's Fight, and so this was a series of of novels that Ward who is an F14 uh Rio wrote that that also uh were funny and touched on this uh sort of generational friction in the navy uh punk was a lieutenant in, you know in around uh what, 1990 or so, 2000, um, you know, and and dealing with uh, leadership and with, you know, a squadron commander and an air wing commander uh, who had this, uh, you know, sort of very hierarchical, you know, do it my way or the highway kind of perspective on things. And, you know, so punk was probably not uh, baby boomer, but the generation just after baby boomer, but... But before the millennials and Gen X, yeah, Gen X, right? Um, yeah, you know, but but the same thing. I mean, there's always this sort of generational friction. As you know, I loved this uh, line from one of your pieces, maybe uh, in October, where you said you know, you took on the topic of uh, one of the Navy's favorite topics, leadership, and you wrote, "I know what you're thinking. What's a millennial going to teach me about leadership? This guy's been in the Navy since breakfast. He's never had command. He doesn't understand it." Uh, And then you say, "Well, I've observed a few things since I finished my avocado toast this morning." Anyway, just very, very (laughs) funny and tongue-in-cheek. But um, I'm curious, as you uh, and so you know, I'll I'll touch on a couple things here. But the question for you is, uh, you know, as a junior officer and now a lieutenant commander, you've you know served department head tours on on uh, cruisers. You mentioned Um, what's what was the sense? for you and your J- fellow JOs uh, and fellow department heads coming up in terms of the receptiveness from your leadership uh, to new ideas about how to do things?
3: Oh, man, that's a, that's a great question. So, um, when I was, uh, so as a department head, I was, I was very lucky, um, with a commanding officer that was, um, uh, extremely receptive to ideas and wanted to al- always was looking for ways to, to, uh, maximize the, uh, the, the power of his crew through unique ways. And, uh, and I, I in fact, I learned a lot from him, um, uh, in, in terms of, um, you know, I guess just the old cliche thinking outside the box. Uh, so we were lucky as a team of, of department heads and junior officers to, to have a, a, a dynamic and engaging commanding officer that was willing to take risk, um, in terms of, uh, um, in personnel management, uh, how we're going to – things from uh, uh, ideas for uh, watch rotations and uh, uh, how we were going to tackle uh, an import uh, maintenance availability and uh, all the way from how we were going to conduct air defense in the uh, Arabian Gulf uh, on deployment. Uh, so that was, that was a really unique experience. I know not everybody's experience is like that. Um, I don't want to sound um, – too negative, but, uh, I do think that, um, we, we, as the, the pressure is ratcheted up on commanding officers, uh, they, they tend to fall back on, uh, what's most reliable. And unfortunately, I, I see it all too often a, a very autocratic, um, uh, style of leadership, uh, that when things need to get done quickly. And so there's no, no time to, to discuss, um, the reality is in certain situations that's necessary um but it's not always necessary and we love to preach this idea of a questioning attitude uh so so there's a good and bad that comes with that questioning attitude and we have to if we really want it and i think there's there's a ton of value in it um we've got to be willing to to take the good with the bad and say okay i'm I'm getting questions here it's kind of like as a parent you know you, you want your kids to be curious uh, and learn, uh, but after the, the the sixth or seventh why, or you know the 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 um, the second hour of questioning, uh, you, you start to get a little drained, and, and you're just ready to move on. And you just say, okay, well, that's just it's just because it's the way it is, or because I said so. Um, so it's not it's not an easy process. Uh, it, it, it sounds great on paper, uh, talking about the, um, the the questioning attitude and some of the, some of those other uh, principles of excellence that we preach. Um, but they're not easy. And, uh, when we, when we ramp up our, uh, our stress, uh, and, and on our, uh, our commanding officers, um, which is, which is always going to happen, um, we, 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 are constantly in a situation where we have, uh, you know, 10 pounds of stuff in a five pound bag and we've got more to do than we have the resources available, then that pressure is always going to be there. Um, so we, we just, uh, we need to work constantly on, uh, you know, sustaining that culture of, okay, we're willing to accept a certain level of um, maybe it's uh, ambiguity or uh, 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 I'm not I'm not quite sure um, hey, what the word would be. But, yeah, the idea of taking the good with the bad, if that makes any sense. I'm,
1: I'm curious from your perspective, since the incidents of 2017, the Fitzgerald and the McCain collisions, have you noticed and, and among your cohort, your colleagues um, – is there a sense that the Navy is limiting the amount of administrivia that required, uh, and fo- refocusing on seamanship and navigation in ways that reduce the you know sort of the overhead burdens on uh, you know people on ships, particularly commanding officers? As you just mentioned, the, the stress on commanding officers is really high. Uh, we've had a number of people writing writing on this topic in proceedings, and it's hard from my perspective to discern whether the Navy is making true changes in this direction or whether it's sort of, you know, the 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 typical reaction, which tends to be, okay, well, we're, we're going to fix this, and then you sort of move on to the next crisis without ever ever having really fixed things. Um, what, what's the yeah. perspective from yeah. you know, sort of the the, the mid grade yeah. officer level? Uh-
3: well i'll tell so, so first i'll i'll be honest and tell you that i'm uh i've been working in a joint job for the past three years so um haven't been in the fleet uh since i left my department head ride uh but i have been tracking the news and uh and particularly that push by the c n o um uh and other senior leaders to get rid of the administrative burden i think it's it's noble it's a noble effort um but uh yeah i'll be, I'll be honest i'm skeptical uh i think that uh if we if we cut these collateral duties that's good uh, it's a short term measure but if you don't if you don't address a uh, almost a cultural uh problem then the administrative burden will just will just creep right back in it's like if you've got black mold and you scrub it away it might look good but uh, it'll come back uh and the administrivia will eventually come back um that's a maybe that's a that's a um a necessary evil uh, but i think we could probably do better there um i don't know if that um uh, that's, that's, that's definitely a, a good push. I don't know if it would solve all the problems that led to those uh, two collisions. Um, and, and the other thing is, you know, another reason that I'm skeptical is kind of, you kind of alluded to it um, in the way that we've done things in the past. I mean, if we've, if we've really gotten ourselves into such a bad spot, then uh, how can we be sure that the, the people and the methods that are trying to correct the problem even, even know how to correct the problem? Uh, and that's, um, that's, there's a couple of articles recently on this idea of, uh, has the, has the Navy forgotten how to fight? And, uh, it's a good question to ask. I don't think it's all, uh, despair. Um, but, uh, we, we have, uh, it's, it's uh, been a long time since we've been in a, uh, great power conflict. Uh, so we probably got some, uh, some hard knock lessons to get through before we get back there.
2: Yeah, so you talk about uh, the administrative, right? So there's layers of this stuff too, right? There's the, right. what I would call the OPNAV institutional imposed kind of stuff, right? Hey, GMT on this every so often, you know, Uncle Sam's OPSEC, that stuff. Um, you've got collateral duty driven administrative requirements. In some cases, right? Let's let's not be confused. Some of that's there for a reason and doesn't need to go away, right? Uh, and then right. there's some internally right. imposed stuff too. Um, I can tell you while I was at Fleet Forces, there was a lot of work going on at the TICOM level to reduce – to revalidate the certification processes and what they've done and across all the TICOMs for my seat as a fleet mass chief – Work was getting done there, right? There was a recognition that, yes, it, those systems are overpressurized. Let's try to get the COs back some CO time so they can develop reps and sets towards war fighting. So I felt yeah. good that that was happening. And I think there's – was it a blog or an article that was recently written by an LCS CO where she challenged Captain Iyer back on like, hey, no, I'm, I'm empowered and I see the reduction. So to me that was reassuring that, OK, maybe some of the work um, that the machine is doing at the TICOM and fleet staff is paying off. But at the same time some of this yeah. is simply a redistribution of stuff right so we talk about collateral duties you know where those all hit home they hit the cheese mess and the first class mess because the selection board was yeah. telling them hey you need to do these things you know you can get extra points so while as that fleet forces you know sometimes you got to look at the processes driving the behavior we did some work uh, we didn't get rid of them but you know we built language in those convening orders that uh you know selection board candidates should be reading that said hey you know, collateral duties got it, but don't let don't do those at the expense of primary duties. And then when I would go up to command yeah, leadership school, I would talk to the COs and XOs and say, "Hey, that 1301 notice that's driving your collateral duty assignments. Guaranteed, it's heavily populated with chiefs and first classes. But why are you not distributing that load across the wardroom, the chief's mess, and the mess decks? You know, what I mean, so some somebody is managing what you've got out there. And then, frankly some of it is self-imposed, right? So you run around and we want to do that holiday party and we want to have swag and $50,000 worth of door prizes. Well, guess who bears the brunt of that? Once again, yeah. a bunch of enlisted sailors out there doing fundraisers. So I'm like, you know, there's some models at the unit and staff level where you could go, well, maybe we just do an internal potluck, everyone just brings something, we can achieve our effect. So I don't think it's just the machine that drives this issue. There's a uh, everyone has an ownership and, you know, are these things assigned right? Uh, and are they distributed
3: um, equally? Across yeah, that's the board? A, that's a, yeah, Matthew. That's a that's a great point. You know, it reminds me. You know, it's, uh, I like to say that uh, you know there really is no such thing as big navy. You know, big navy is you. Uh, you know, and there it's, it's you you like people like to think of there's like this other entity that uh, that dictates how things are run. But in the end, it's just it's just people that are leading other people and and uh, and, and uh, getting things done as a team. Uh, so the, the self-imposed part of it, I think, is a great point. And uh, if we're going to get back to this idea, you know, uh, Secretary Mattis talks about the uh, in the in the uh, national defense strategy, the great power conflict, and preparing for that for that uh, fight. If if it does come, uh, then there's going to be some changes that come along the way, and uh, we might have to sacrifice our Christmas parties uh, that we've become accustomed to. Um, and that's <laughs> you know, that's not a bad thing. It just means that we're going to have to think uh a little bit differently in uh how we prioritize our efforts. Right. Uh, no, that's that's a great point. Hey, I also want to uh
2: emphasize the point you made. This generational, what do we, you know, tension that it's there too, right? So I'm seeing uh I'm seeing enlisted sailors, right? They're they're writing a lot more. They're expressing uh not necessarily always in proceedings. So there's been a couple commentaries written in Navy Times um challenging the cheese mess, yeah. right? And they're hey, yeah, you I, know, the cheese mess aren't uh, enablers of this uh communication and things like that. But I think the context of all this is important, right? So I was I was a former nuke, right? So I grew up in a culture of order and safety and procedural compliance and questioning attitude. And when I'm operating a reactor plant, um, once the brief is done, and the, you know, there is no room for questioning why per se, except if we're going off course. Um, so I think you're seeing tension also between this culture of safety and order and the way we operate and this culture of, hey, we want to learn too, Um we yeah. got to do a better job of figuring out when is the right time um, for those kind of learning, um, and, and this there, there isn't a time and place to always just challenge the system. You know what I mean? But there are times yeah. and there are venues that we got to
3: make sure people know.
1: Yeah, it's a great point. No,
3: no I, w- I want to get a great back to point. You know, I, oh, go ahead, yeah. go ahead, Jimmy. Oh, okay. No, I was just gonna say I I um I think it was a if I remember right it was the second class that wrote that article challenging the yep. Chiefs' mess. Uh and I just thought that took a ton of guts. Uh, I really. I really appreciate that, especially, you know, in Navy times. Uh, so a lot of a lot of his peers are going to read that. And, uh, you know, we, we can't, it, it, as a Navy, we can't guarantee that there's never going to be a, a negative repercussion from him writing that article. But, man, you know, I hope we can uh, sustain a culture where we say, okay, this guy, this guy really embodies a part of what makes us great. I mean, I, I, I don't think, and I don't know um, 100%, but I don't think you're going to see in, for example, the Chinese Navy, uh, second class. It's going to publicly uh, come out and say, "Here's what I think the Chiefs' mess uh, needs to do to get better." Um, and and I I think that's uh, that's kind of one of the things that separates us our our, um, our ability as uh, as individuals to say, "Here here's I, I I see something that I think is wrong and I want to point it out." I'm not sure exactly how to fix it, and hey, I might not even be right, but um, I want to point this out. And uh, and like you said, there's you know we got to find the right time and place, but um, it, I just I thought that that was uh, really admirable and uh, really reflected on some of the things that uh, that make our Navy great to see a, a, a guy like that uh, going out there and putting his neck out there.
1: That's a great point about uh, also the what we try to provide with the naval at the Naval Institute is the the forum for that conversation to take place, right? So on the one yeah. hand, you know, just recently we had uh, Kevin Iyer, Captain Kevin Iyer, retired, you know, commanded three cruisers, uh, and and he talks to a lot of. Um, Uh, currently active duty officers out on the the waterfront in San Diego. And a lot of what Kevin writes is written um, for other people. You know, the the comments that he's heard, the concerns that he's heard come out in Kevin's writing. Uh, And so he he wrote um, his November um, uh, charting a course column was about the uh, erosion of command, uh, and then we published yeah. also just uh, you know a couple weeks ago on on proceedings today we published a piece by Lieutenant Commander who's uh, a minesweeper CO saying hey I disagree with with uh, Kevin Iyer I disagree I think you know uh, my erosion my power as commanding officer as a junior commanding officer has not been eroded I, I, I'm given latitude to operate my ship the way I need to and I'm given time at sea uh, that's my time which is great and that and may indicate that some of those changes are happening. That you know the Navy recognized needed to be happening after uh, the collisions of 2017. I, I'll also point yeah. out one one other thing. You know, back to the start of this. You know, should we have uh, writers um, who can write anonymously? Do you have to you know put your name and rank on everything? And you know, we've got different standards for the blog and for proceedings. And we're constantly talking about um, you, you know, is there. Uh, a perception in the fleet or in the Marine Corps or the Coast Guard now that it's dangerous for your career to write. Uh, and so, to some extent, that's why we allow anonymous comments on the blog. But we also have our essay contest, right? And essay contest, as uh, uh, my former colleague here, Dave Adams, used to say, and he wrote he wrote and won a number of essay contests, as did you, Master no. Chief. Um, the, uh, the essay contest, confer some top cover right because if you win an essay contest then there's some value to your idea and those ideas have been judged in the blind uh... in an essay contest where maybe there were a hundred en- you know entries or you know fifty eighty a hundred entries maybe two hundred entries uh... and they were judged in the blind and a, you know a jury of your peers found value in what you wrote and it got published in proceedings and so while some may take issue with your idea Others have to say, well, you know, we can't really stomp on him too hard cause, or her too hard because, you know, this uh, this idea won an essay contest uh, at, you know, the Naval Institute. And some of those essay contests have been won by people like Jim Stavridis and Alfred Thayer Mahan and Ernest J. King over the years. So, you know, there's there's clearly some value there. So that's one of the ways that we like yeah, to I, provide I, yeah. a top cover.
3: Well, I, I think it's a, that's a great point. And the, top, the top cover that, that you provide, I think, is... Uh is a great value. Um, and I, I don't think it's the Naval Institute's responsibility to, to uh, eliminate anonymous writing, uh, if, if anything. Um, you know, in, in, in an ideal world, in, in, in my view, would be that um, of all kinds of junior officers and enlisted and even and senior officers are writing openly and uh, freely communicating their ideas and, and under their own names, and they don't feel like they need to use uh, a pseudonym uh or if they do that you know it's a not anonymous uh but i think that's a, that that onus falls on us in, in the navy and the military to to cultivate that um and uh you know you mentioned the 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 um the risk to career uh for for writing some of these things and um i mentioned earlier uh colonel ned stark are you guys uh, familiar with uh yes. The, yes. That column over there on Born the Rocks.
1: Yep, I don't read it um, all the, all the time, but I have read it a number of times. It's very, very good.
3: Yeah, you no, know, they 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 do some great stuff. Um, they they uh, I guess uh, the first time this this guy uh, put out an article, they prefaced it with uh, kind of saying, "We don't normally do this. Uh, we don't normally allow anonymous writing, but we decided to in this case." Um, be and they said they they put in in a caveat that uh, the author's career. Uh, even after his time in the Air Force, could be at serious risk, uh, even though the uh, the the uh, ideas expressed here are not a violation of any policy or revealing any classified information. But they said, you know, he could be at serious risk. And I just thought that was astonishing, this idea that – that and really all he's communicating is we need, we need to do a better job of how we promote senior officers in the Air Force. Um and the only thing controversial about that is where you're, you're, you're talking about senior officers and, and generals. Um, but, uh, the idea that that would, that by saying that he would put his career at risk, I just thought was, that's not really a good situation. Um, and then to, to top that, the, the, uh, chief staff of the air force comes out and in a good gesture, said, you know, he wrote something in response saying, please join my team. Uh, your, 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 uh, your head is safe, uh, so to speak, uh, um, but it, it, I think it might have an unintended consequence of kind of validating, uh, uh, potential, uh, authors, uh, fears that, Hey, you know, uh, my career might actually be at risk. And, uh, why don't I just, uh, stay behind this, uh, pseudonym and the chief of staff, uh, will, will respond that way. So my ideas will get out there, um, and I never have to, to stick my neck out there and, we might be if you follow that model, you you might be kind of uh, teaching some some unintended lessons that you know it's important to be accountable, but only up until the point of severe consequences, and then at that point, uh, it's okay to hide. Uh, so I'm not really sure how I feel about everything, uh, but I just thought that's a that was an interesting development. Uh, I even uh, tried to reach out to the author. Um, I used my My pseudonym email address to email his pseudonym email address uh, and uh, tried to strike up a conversation on how i how I thought that his anonymity might have some unintended consequences but uh, i didn 't get any response so um, oh well
1: well the result of that anonymous to non- anonymous is probably that the only people who knew who both of you were were the, either the Russians or the Chinese so yeah uh,
3: <laughs> yeah, that's right well
1: hey we, we have to wrap it yeah. up today but uh jimmy thanks for joining us again uh for our listeners our guest was uh the salty millennial also known as lieutenant commander jimmy drennan a surface warfare officer uh mid-grade officer down at uh, u.s central command actually leaving centcom and going to uh special operations command central in tampa uh, Jimmy, great to have you yeah. on the on the podcast. We look forward to uh, what whatever you write next on the blog, and we hope you'll uh, also yeah. write some stuff for proceedings.
3: Oh, I will. I I, I I have in the past, and I'll continue to do so uh, under my uh, my boring old real name. Uh, but I'll also keep putting out some uh, some uh, salty millennial articles if people keep reading it uh, and finding value in it. And um, and I put it out. I'll keep putting it out. Uh, the salty millennial at gmail.com for anybody that wants to email me and uh, uh, pitch an idea or something that they, they're they not comfortable uh, bringing up uh, under their own name just yet. Uh, we can work uh, together and uh, see if there's a way to uh, help you uh, publish your ideas. So I'll like put that I like out it. there.
1: Thanks for doing that, and uh, we, we look forward to talking to you in 2019. And uh, that that wraps up this episode of the Proceedings Podcast. And remember, victory begins at the Naval Institute.